Lawrence Canyon is one of the seven natural wonders of the state of Georgia. But Providence Canyon isn't natural, not in the way that most people think about the word. This week, we're joined by geologist Josh Poole, who is a graduate of the University of West Georgia, and as you'll hear, received his master's from Auburn University. It was entirely unintentional on my part to find a geologist from Auburn, but that's what we did. We visited the canyon, which is in southwest Georgia in Stewart County with Josh and his wife, Amanda. And fun fact, uh, Josh, Amanda, and Kelly did go to high school together. So in some ways, they are the oldest of about South friends. We talk about the canyon, what it reveals, what's special about it, what's kind of oddly horrific about it, and all of the things in between in the geological age of the Anthropocene. And we also talk about whether or not region makes sense to those who think about the Earth in deep time. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. are here with Josh Poole, who is a geologist, and also, I believe you did your master's at Auburn University. I did. War Eagle. War Eagle. We have a real preponderance of Auburn guests on the show. Did you know that? So I've heard. It's not intentional. It just turns out that everyone who knows everything somehow went to Auburn. I mean, they do produce the best. The, ve so. the best of the best. It's not unusual. No. you have the best on your show, and then they happen to come from Auburn. I think that that's true. Um, so we're here at Providence Canyon. You can probably hear, um, actually quite romantically, the wind like rustling through the trees. You may hear, we're near the visitor center, so you may hear some cars go by. Um, general outdoor southwest Georgia sounds. And... For people, our listeners who don't know, Providence Canyon is also known as the Little Grand Canyon. I first came here, I guess, in the late 90s. I thought I was looking at, put this in quotes, like a, quote, natural landscape, like mm -hmm. a canyon. But, Josh, can you tell us, what's the actual history of Providence Canyon? So, it is, it is natural in, in a respect. Someone didn't come out here with giant, you know, excavators and caterpillar machines and, and dig out these trenches, but its, its origins are human-induced. So in the early 1800s, this canyon started to form, and it was a direct result of poor farming practices. The Creek Indians signed a treaty and basically ceded the land east of the Chattahoochee River and then at that point it really started started becoming heavily farmed and so one of the first things they did is they cut down all the natural forests so a lot of the hardwoods along the, a lot of the longleaf pines shortleaf pines so you went ahead and exposed a lot of the a lot of the surface from those roots holding everything in place vegetation is actually one of the best inhibitors to erosion so you've taken all the big vegetation down and then they went and just started farming it 
And due to their far poor farming practices, the soil became depleted and no longer held that vegetation, and then it started to erode. And at that point, they didn't know really about contour plowing or, or strip planting or crop rotation. When you start eroding the surface, you get these little rills, which are tiny, little tiny, well, not really crevasses, but you know, tiny little inundations in the, in the, in the surface. And then those, through continued erosion, turn into gullies. And from there, it's really just, a, if it's not stopped, it's really just a cascade effect where these gullies just go bigger and bigger and bigger. Different gullies will merge into larger super gullies, and then it just keeps going into the canyon. The canyon doesn't, it's not downcutting at a consistent rate. It does vary through time. But. So that's pretty much how it started. And so just for our listeners at home, if they don't have a perspective of this, you hear a gully, you think, oh, it's kind of like a little divot. How yeah. big is Providence Canyon, roughly? Some of the canyons are a few miles long. The deepest canyon is about 150 feet deep. Yeah, this is big. It's big because we're, we're now in the coastal plain, um, which is unconsolidated sedimentary, sediments and sedimentary rock, fairly flat, and to just have this fairly large canyon here is pretty remarkable and very unusual. And so, just so I'm clear, this largely started in the early 1800s, so we're talking about sort of like plantation agriculture, just like get as much money out of the land as quickly as possible, yeah. kind of like crop, like no crop rotation, like single crop, farm, 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 and then it's like this soil here can't take that. Like right. it's, you're going to see erosion. Is that right? Right. I, as far as plantation or small small farms, I really don't know that. I can't really answer that accurately, um, but it is due to for, poor farming practices. As far as how big were these farms, was it a bunch of individual farms? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but it did start in the early 1800s, and I think there was a deed signed from James Lunsford to William Tatum, and in that deed it mentioned this, and that was in like 1836. And so it's been around, at least started since then, and okay. it just keeps keeps getting bigger. And it's getting bigger even today. It is, yes. Because I guess once it starts, you can't you can't stop it. No, yeah. you really yeah. can't. You wow. really can't stop it at this point. Um, because when it initially began, you had just downcutting and these gullies get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was primarily due to just surface erosion. But all this sediment here is, uh, like I said, it's loose sediment. So it's easily washed away. Think about if you, it's a, it's a very basic analogy, but if you just start pouring your water out on the beach, you can, you know, it really eats through that sand. And most of this is sand. And so the water takes that away very easily because it's not held together very well. So once the initial canyon forms, by that at that point, it starts eroding laterally. So it does erode vertically, but it's right now that it's mainly eroding laterally. Okay. Now, I know that, like, looking around, the color spectrum mm -hmm. is really impressive across the canyon. And here, when you look at the canyon, like, and you see those layers, like, at the top, it can be, like, bright red, mm -hmm. and then it turns into, like, yellow, and it's got the um, white clay. Like, what all types of material 
are represented here and how many years are represented here of geologic history? So here at Providence Canyon, we have probably a little under 30 million years of history. That's a very, very loose thrown out number there. So the different types of material we have range from sand to sandy loams, loamy sands, um, clay material. And so it's mostly sand, silt, and clay in a very basic sense. And that's why it was so easily formed because those are soft, softer materials. How like the canyon formed? Yeah. yeah, they're very friable. So they, they come apart very easily. They're not bound together very tightly. Is it unusual that something would form this quickly? Like what is the difference between this, the little Grand Canyon and like, the Grand the Grand. Grand Grand. That's yeah. a, you know, that's a really good question, and that's important for people to understand. So you started off by saying this isn't natural, and I said, well, with res in some respects it is natural. So the processes that formed it are natural, but it is directly human-induced. Had humans not instilled the poor farming practices here, you wouldn't see it. You don't see it elsewhere in the region. So it is definitely human-induced. So it's in that respect, no, it's not natural. Um... And it's only been about 150, 170 years that this has been in formation. So that is a very rapid, yeah, that blows rapid our time mind. in Earth's history. So we can see 30 million years within 150 years of human. Oh, uh, yeah. God, that's nuts, right? It's insane. And it, it really <laughs> is insane, especially on a geologic scale, because, and I'll, I'll answer the second half of that with, um, with, with regards to the Grand Canyon here a second but it really is impressive because as a geologist we're trained to think on a completely different time scale than regular folk you know to regular people you meet someone and they're only 90 years old and you're like holy crap you're 90 years old you've lived forever um which may kind of sound rude but you know that's all, 90 years is a long time um 100 years is a long time 150 a thousand years that's a long time and really that is a long time but to a geologist, most of our scales are on the hundreds of millions to billions of years. So for something to happen in 150, 200 years is really a blink of an eye. This is almost instantaneous in Earth's history. Now to the Grand Canyon, that was a, di different, a completely different type of formation. So that formed in a pretty regular sense. That formed from the Colorado River just down cutting through those rocks. <laughs> So you are a geologist. For people who don't really know what that means and what the different fields are, mm -hmm. can you just explain geology right fast for everybody? Sure. So geology, in a very basic sense, is, sense, is studying earth and earth processes. And someone once asked me to explain geology in a tweet, so in 140 characters or less. And it took me a minute to think about it, but the best answer I could come up with is Think of a geologist as Sherlock Holmes solving the mysteries of Earth's history. And I know that sounds really cheesy, but I liked it. What do you do within that then? So we're really trying to understand Earth and how the Earth came to be how we see it today. And to do that, we're trying to make a complete story with a very limited amount of evidence and clues. So think of you as trying to put a puzzle together and get the whole picture of the puzzle. You don't really know what the end picture will look like, 
and you only have maybe a third of the pieces. So that's really what we're working with. So for us to come to a lot of our, our interpretations, I won't say conclusions, but interpretations are, it's pretty impressive. And it, I think it um, speaks a lot to the science. Where we get our data is directly from the rocks. And really rocks are Earth's history books. And a lot of that we don't see because rocks are under the surface. So it's like trying to read a book by only looking at the cover. So it's special places like this at Providence Canyon where now you've taken that book and kind of cut it like a cake or turned it on its side. And you can start seeing the pages. And so this is a great, a great geologic study area because now we can take a peek under the cover and read those pages. And each one of those pages, each one of the layers here, each one of the geologic units and the stratigraphy here tells us a different story. And so um, that's, in a basic sense, that's kind of what we geologists do. We look at the rocks and really just listen to what story they're trying to tell us. So how do geologists think of space? Because the information that we gather and the interpretations we come to, ultimately, as scientists, we have to relay those to the public. So to relay, those, to, the, to relay that information to the public and our peers, we have to use common terminology. So we definitely use Southeast. Um, a lot of people realize this, but different rock formation names are named from, it's called the type locality, and that's the original place they were first described. The layers we see here in Providence Canyon, at the very top we have the Baker Hill Formation, which is at the surface. The first layer you see in the canyon is the Clayton Formation. The bulk of Providence Canyon is the Providence Sands, which is broken up into, well, it's a Providence Formation, it's broken up into Providence Sand, and then lower is the Parodi Sand. At the very bottom, we have the Ripley Formation. All of those were named for specific places they were first described. So the Ripley Formation, I believe, was first described in Mississippi. And Providence Sand is named for this area. And I, we can talk about in a minute how Providence got its name. And then the Clayton Formation was described in another place. These are more geographical terms, but they have, we have the physiographic provinces. So there's five of those in Georgia. Right now, we're sitting at the coastal plain. If you go up to Columbus, which is about what, 40 minutes north of here, we are sitting at the fall line, which is the transition between basically rock and loose sediment. So you're moving from the coastal plain into the Piedmont. And then we also have the, um, the Blue Ridge, we have the Valley and Ridge, and we have the Cumberland Plateau. So those are the five basic physiographic province, provinces in Georgia. They're not unique to Georgia. They also spread all through the southeast. Um, Alabama, same terminology. Carolinas, same terminology. Tennessee. So the physiographic provinces aren't unique to a specific location. It's the same throughout you know, that whole province. And that's based mainly on the underlying geology and the landforms they produce. I'm, I consider myself a, th a southeastern geologist. So I study geology in the southeast, the south, southeastern United States. So we do use, you know, regular geographic terms, but when we're describing things, particularly geologic processes, the geography really doesn't, it doesn't matter when we're talking about yeah, how the... The, <laughs> the coastal plain doesn't care where the Alabama-Georgia line runs. It doesn't, no. Right. Our, our self-assigned geopolitics really don't matter. At that point, you said you would mention why this was called Providence Canyon. What's the story there? Yeah, so again, it started forming in the you know early 1800s, and it became the canyon. And the main geologic unit down there is the Providence Sand. 
And the canyon and that Providence formation got its name from Providence Methodist Church, which was founded in, I think, 1832. And it's right around here, Providence Methodist Church. Oh, I just saw I, it. Yeah. And they have a little cemetery. Yes. And I said, I wouldn't want my grave so close to an eroding canyon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where, that's where it originally got its okay. name. And that's going back to the earlier comment that um, we name these geologic these geologic units off the first place they were described. Oh, okay. And so that's where it got its name. And you could argue that it was a lack of providence that, that poor farming practices would produce the canyon, and so they couldn't use the land anymore. But that's ultimately where it got its name from that church. I was kind of thinking too, you know, um, there's a lot of talk of, this is a term I think a lot of academics in a lot of fields have bandied about um, as we deal with issues of climate change and climate mm -hmm. science, but this idea of the Anthropocene, right? can you just, for listeners who don't know, tell us mm -hmm. what is the Anthropocene, why is Providence Canyon maybe a good representation of it, mm -hmm. what is it, and like why does it matter? Right. Geologists, like I said earlier, use it at a completely different scale. That scale isn't unique to geology. That has been adopted by all sciences. So we just have the geologic time scale, and it's broken up into kind of two two main portions: the the uh, Proterozoic, generally, and the Phanerozoic. And then from there we kind of and this is all very generalized. And from there we kind of zoom in on smaller snippets of time. And each snippet of time is not arbitrary. It represents kind of a, a specific window of time where certain events happened that are unique to that period of time. So we zoom in. We have the Precambrian, which is basically anything before 500 million years ago. Not much was going on. Everything after that from the Precambrian till now, from about 500 million years ago to now, is generally based off... Um, different type of life forms, different type of environments, and, and it is based off um, geologic events, but most of it is kind of based on life forms. That live there, that right, lived. okay. And so really, like dinosaurs, right? Yeah, like, dinosaurs. What period exactly. did they, are they in? They were in the, uh, in the Mesozoic, so they okay. were from the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cenozoic. Okay. So you know, Earth's history obviously starts with Earth's formation, which was about 4.5. 4.6 billion years ago. From that time, a bunch of stuff happened until about the Precambrian. And really all that had to do with up until the Precambrian, you basically just had plates forming, getting gobbled up by other plates, and you do have life. Probably about three and a half billion years ago, three billion years ago, life shows up. Some argue older. And that was bacteria. And later, we so we have, we get the different multicellular life and for the bulk of earth's history it was basically just gross algal mats and bacteria and then somewhere down the line multicellular life happened and really once multicellular life happened that can that was a complete game changer so about 500 million years ago we have what's referred to as the cambrian explosion it's called the Cambrian Explosion, not because the Earth exploded, but that's because you have an explosion of life. That was the greatest 
arguably the greatest biodiversity the earth has ever seen. And it's because multicellular life had kind of time to work the kinks out and could just start doing whatever it wanted. It was like a mad scientist went crazy. And oh just my like, God, Let me put this together. Let me so put that together. Awesome. And there was just the most bizarre critters you could imagine. And you got to remember all of that was marine life. All this was happening on the ocean. There was nothing on land. The rock, the land was just barren rock. Um, really no soil formation. There was no plants, no bugs, nothing. It was just a really hostile environment. And for life to form, some different geologic processes had to happen. So before that, in our rock record, we could see that the Earth went through periods of oxidation and anoxidation. So it was oxic and anoxic. Anoxic is not very conducive for life. Um, life likes oxygen-rich environment. Two basic things you need for life to form are oxygen, free oxygen, and water, liquid water. So we had the water, but the ocean was anoxic, not very oxygen-rich. We had all those algal plumes started working together, um, those algal mats, and they slowly started oxidizing the planet. From about 500 million years ago, the planet's been more or less oxidized. It's very conducive to life. So the Cambrian explosion, a plethora of life exploded onto the scene, multicellular life. And there's critters that stayed around from then to now. A lot of them went extinct. Um, there were some pretty wild creatures that formed. One of my favorites is called Hallucinogena. And it was found, I forget when it was found. I think it was found in like the 60s or 70s when the first, first fossil record was found. And no one had any idea how, what it was. Um, it has these weird, almost like cartoon legs. It looks like these little goat feet. And it has these spikes coming off the back. Kind of a balloon-shaped thing, lobe on the front, maybe its head, and kind of an angular tail on the back. No one knew if it walked on the spikes, or if the spikes were defense and it walked on the little feet, or if it walked on the spikes and the feet were its back. Where's its head? Does it have a head? Does it have a butt? Is it a one-way digestive system? Is it a two-way? Um, no one knew what this critter was, and the reason it's got its name, Hallucigena, was because, and I'm butchering that name, but it, because the first person that described it thought it looked like something he'd seen in a bad acid trip. <laughs> and uh, so that's one of my favorites. But there was just a wild array. All of that was, all that different life exploded onto the scene and was quickly consolidated down. It was downsized because what happens is once you start getting once it's cellular life, there's any possible niche is opened. And once you start forming life, things fill those niches. And once those niches are filled, it's very hard to open up th them again. So things may come along that are much better suited for that, um, for that type of niche, but something's already filled it, so they go extinct. So these things come and go. Um, we've gone through, I think we're in the sixth mass extinction right now. So things come, they go, and those breaks are showing up in the rock record. And life represents certain types of environment because only certain types of life live in certain types of environment. So we know kind of what environment was going on. So that shows us in the rock record. So we can break up the record based off evidence of life and the type of environment. And then that also plays into what's going on geologically. Are we forming mountains? Is it a shallow sea? Is it... Um, is it a desert? So on. That's loosely how we're breaking up the rock record. Mass extinctions don't happen overnight. They're not immediate. A lot of people think, asteroid, boom, all the dinosaurs are dead. They're dead within an, 
that instant, or they're dead within a few days, or a few years, or a few hundred years. No, mass extinctions don't happen overnight. And really, they, they could last a million to two million years. And that sounds like a long time. And that is a long time, but in Earth's, Earth's history, that's really not a long time. And around the Permian extinction, which is the worst, about 93% of all life on the planet died. So you almost wiped the slate clean and had to start over. So that's a lot of new niches to fill. And that was about the time that dinosaurs started showing up on the scene. So up until that time, it was mostly, it was only sea-based life. We had a period called the Carboniferous, and that was, um, that was a period in the, in the late Paleozoic. So 200-something million years ago, basically. And we see evidence for a bunch of coal in the rock record. The only way you can get coal is to have dead organic matter. The only way you get the dead organic matter is you have to have life, and that is mainly terrestrial. So that shows us in the rock record that life was forming on the surface, so terrestrial life. Once it starts, and it's the same thing with the Cambrian explosion, once life starts moving on land, you have all these niches on land that are completely vacant. So now you have another kind of mini explosion of life developing on land. So once we have the, these mass extinctions, you open up more, more, uh, more spaces. And then we get the dinosaurs in the Mesozoic. So Triassic, Jurassic, Cenozoic. What that plays into this is that here at Providence Canyon, we're seeing the tail end of the dinosaur reign. And then we, what we call, have the KT boundary. It's the boundary between the Cretaceous and Tertiary. And you can see that in the rock. You can if see you're that down in the in rock the here. Canyon. You see that break. And really, it's called tertiary, but that's an ancient term now. We no longer use that. It's called the paleogene. We see that here. So what you're seeing, what you can see in Providence Canyon is the end of the dinosaurs. And that's what we see here in Providence Canyon. That's a lot of time. It's, a, yeah, it's about 20 to 30 million years. 25 to 30 million years is the window of time we see here at Providence Canyon. That really... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still just amazed that that got uncovered in basically like yeah. 150 years. Yeah, it's really awesome. Just with like runoff and erosion. Yeah, it's completely by accident. It was serendipitous, I guess oh, you could also, say. It's also like kind of tragic, right? I mean, not for I what don't you think so. do. I think, it's, I think this is it great. Just, it makes it, I know it is great, but it's like, oh, humans just really like messing stuff up. And that goes into the original question is the Anthropocene. So the Anthropocene is, you could argue, the age of man. And it is not an accepted term. Um, accepted by whom? The, not accepted by whom? It's not in our, the official geologic time scale. And Got really, it. that again, that's kind of what all sciences use, the geologic time scale. And that's not just geologists. That's a whole kind of, I won't say commission, but that's the scientific community as a whole. That's you know, biologists, some chemists, geochemists. Um, so it's kind of a popular term to denote something. It, the Anthropocene is basically talking about the age of man. And man has become one of the greatest geologic agents in Earth's history. Animals have affected the land, but not at very big or noticeable scales. You look through the rock record, you see some footprints. You see some trace fossils. So trace fossils are just 
evidence that critters had been here, but there, the critter itself isn't there. Really, nothing has directly affected the land like man. So that's why that term came into play is because we are in a completely different segment of time now. And the argument is, when did it start? Anthropocene, you could start it. You want to start it when man first showed up about two million years ago? Um, do you want to start it after the bottleneck of mankind? Some people argue that it we should start it... Um, around the medieval time. Some people even argue the Anthropocene should start in the mid-1800s when the Industrial Revolution kicked off because that's really when change really took off. That's when climate change really started taking off. So... Yeah, is it connected to when, like, humans start going into the earth, like, mining mm -hmm. fossil fuels, and, like, right. burning, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, that kind of... So like, when would, you start to see in the geological record that kind of uptick although i guess providence canyon i mean that's the 1800s like yeah. i mean that's bad agricultural so that's, practices exactly so right. because it's so new there's not much in the rock record a lot of it is what we've captured in our own history um it hasn't just had time to form the rock record yet so do you want to put it a few thousand years ago which when we started culture and domestic practices do you want to put it back further after the Ice Age, when man really started to take off, if you put it back then, the problem you run into is that's when the Holocene started, which is the current current segment of geologic time that we're in. And so do we, if you take back the Anthropocene back to the end, the end of the peak ice, pre, last Ice Age, that's the start of the Holocene. So really there's no need to have the Anthropocene. Because we already have the Holocene. Because we already have the Holocene. Um, do we want to bring it further when man really started affecting the land? But that's where the argument is, is where do we start it? Mm. Do we need to have the Anthropocene for one? And if we do, where do we start it? Can you say though, okay, so this is really interesting to me. So if we date the Anthropocene in conjunction with the Holocene, then mm -hmm. it's like, we don't need two scenes. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, and you said that geologist, it's a little bit of expectant types of geological record because mm -hmm. you're not seeing it in the fossil record yet mm -hmm. but you expect to see it in the geological record eventually well it's like providence canyon well you can say rock record record it is of? yeah it is it is um if you go to major cities where they just build on top of themselves particularly old old cities like rome or athens they constantly have problems of digging they dig down to build something new and they hit some ancient settlement, some ancient building, and there's something below that. So that is part of the stratigraphy. That is, I guess, part of our record. It's just not what we typically think is a rock record. So there is evidence for it, but we're not relying, I guess what I'm trying to get at is we're not relying on the rock record to make these interpretations because we, we have seen it and it's recorded in our own history. Yeah, like you and know it's going to yeah, be you there. Know. Yeah, well, we see it happening now. Right. And we see that we can we can see the changes happening. So we're not relying on the rock record and saying, okay, we, I see this, 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 and this. So that means that that had to have been happening. But someday we won't all, if things keep going the way they're going, none of us will exist. Oh, yeah. And then, 
I mean, if any of us survive or some other creature that examines the rock record, they'll see the period when we knew, like, we were making yeah. the rock record. It's a little bit Inception coming, geology, I is. realize, but, like, it kind of, mm. I mean, it just, the temporality of it, like, really blows my mind. You're right, and that, and that does come that does come back to your to your comment just then that we're assuming it's going to be there let's say that let's say that something crazy happens and man just stops being here like we just we die out from something catastrophic we just say deuces and we bail out on the planet something happens and man just kind of stopped doing what we're doing some time passes nature regains control and takes back over does what it does and some geologist, studier of planets comes later and sees it now, they're going to be like, what happened? There's going to be a big WTF because you're going to see a regular rock record and then boom, you're going to see metal pipes in the ground. You're going to see these roads. You're going to see these buildings. You're going to see mass burial cemeteries weird inscriptions all over things they knew like what something right about here happened and things really changed big quarries big mines you know underground mines open pit mines huge machineries Man ice breaking apart right i mean ice that, breaking apart you can't, just, that's gonna melt but i guess that's cha- does that change we see sea level rise yeah sea level rise and you see sea level start to drastically rise and you're gonna say something went on right here and that you could argue that wasn't part of the general Holocene times were changing I mean are there any okay like I totally hear you that Providence Canyon is super cool because we can see like all of the geological time in one place and it is kind of rad that it opened up. Totally rad. But is there any lesson because it does seem like you really effed up to make this happen. Like yeah. are there any lessons? And it's not going to get better. And it's yeah. not getting better. The lesson they learned, they did learn their lesson and that is proper farming techniques. And that's probably the only lesson we got from it because that's what happened. Um, again, that goes back to hindsight 2020. But and like coming in when I see all proactive. this like clear cutting like oh yeah kind oh it's terrible yeah like does that do I mean that must create like erosion situations when now not necessarily like, but what you're doing is you're destroying the the natural flora so you're cutting down a lot of hardwoods the longleaf pines and you're planting things that grow quick like slash pines loblocky um, loblolly I mean and shortleaf pines that you can turn around and spend for a profit because they grow quick. Turn them into toilet straight. paper. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And this is just kind of me talking as opposed to a geology, a scientist or geologist. And that it's, you know, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And I think a lot of that is simply just driven by, by greed, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know if that's ever going to be necessarily remedied. It's just now that the consequences are coming to light. So do we do something about it or do we just say, ah, they'll figure it out later, you know, mm. which isn't fair to our future descendants. They're going to have to pay for our negligence. That's And that's not fair. I'm talking both climate change and just general destruction. Right. 
I, I mean, guess... we're going through a mass extinction right now. People don't realize that. And it's not immediate, but a lot of life is just going away. And a lot of that has to do with, with man, with overhunting. Um, it's not just that. It's a lot of environmental factors. We're still feeling some effects from the previous ice age. Um, but a lot of it is due to man encroaching on habitats, ruining habitats, overhunting, poor conservation techniques. And really, I think one of the main factors is also is the rate of change. Things evolve at a certain rate, and that rate is not consistent, it's not uniform, but things evolve at their own rate and adapt at their own rate. And what we're seeing now is humans are dramatically accelerating the rate of change, mm -hmm. and things just can't keep up. Even though Providence Canyon represents something of yet another human mistake, it's important to remember that it was even preserved in the 1970s due to conservation efforts of the citizens of Stewart County. So the very fact that we even have the record of the record of the destruction is because real people made real efforts to preserve something, if nothing more than as evidence. And Providence Canyon is a thousand acres. It is truly remarkable. And we encourage all of you to make the journey to Stewart County to visit it. We also owe a huge thanks to Josh and Amanda for meeting us at the canyon. When we aren't traveling, About South is brought to you from the historic west end of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines produced this episode. Ajoy Danto is another co-producer and Lindsay Baker helps us with social marketing. Our music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. You can find us at aboutsouthpodcast.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please go to our website this week to look at pictures of Providence Canyon and really take in just how oddly beautiful it is, despite its history. We'll be back next week with a special episode on a topic near and dear to my heart, which is the history of the South on television. You don't want to miss it. Until then, plan your trip to Stewart County. <laughs>